hppodcraft.com. The battery had actually been one once. It was perched on a little spur of hills out thrust from an otherwise wide beach southern coast. Two centuries ago, this original battery stood at the entry of a minor port, a bay now silted in and overgrown a hundred years. That structure's sizable pentagon of stone and its ten guns had commanded the inlet from a good twenty yards elevation. Its dereliction led, by the turn of the twentieth century, to its being filled with stony rubble and capped with concrete to platform a new enterprise, commercial rather than military. Foundationed on its martial bones, the Haven of Health was a grand three stories high and, daring for its time, an hexagonal structure. It catered to the rich for a few decades, mineral baths, high colonics, medicine ball workouts, but it did not long survive the crash. A rich bootlegger goes on to make this battery into a swanky lounge. Eventually, it's converted into rentals for storage and residence, which leaves this reader wondering, are those high colonics still available? <laughs> We're all wondering that here on the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. I'm Chad Fife. I'm Chris Lackey, and we're here at hppodcraft.com and Patreon. Those are some of the opening paragraphs from The Battery, a story by Michael Shea. And you know what that means. We are joined once again by our favorite special guest, Patton Oswalt. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for coming back and being on the show, talking Michael Shea. Patton is, of course, the author of the critical Shea analysis, Shea Bangs, Shea Bangs. <laughs> I'm laughing at my own crap. Shea Bangs, God. Shea Bangs. So, uh, so glad to have you back on the show. And thank you for inviting us uh, into your lovely home. Yeah. We're, actually, we're actually recording right here. In yes. The... I'm really surprised by your collection of shark tooth necklaces. I know. There's a lot of them in here. Let's, actually, let's not talk about that on the air right now. Okay. Some of yeah, those no are, problem. I'm not supposed to have some of those, so let's just be cool. <laughs> you can edit that out, right? Yeah. yeah we'll okay, cut, good. We'll totally cut that out. Okay, no totally worry. Okay, cool. The setting for the story is interesting. We heard about it in the opening. It's an old structure repurposed for modern living. Uh, why this setting? Because this is so what is going on everywhere right now. Everything from factories to churches is being reclaimed and gentrified for young uh, millennial up-and-comings. I was just in Providence and stayed at a um, hotel. I don't know, now I'm blanking on what it was called, but it was... Uh, a re I think it was a repurposed flop house, but it was very, very nice, but like so tiny and mm, yeah. that little tiny elevator with the slat door that closed oh, and right. it was crazy. It's a flop home now. Flop <laughs> home. Now it's a flop home. <laughs> well why don't we charge right into the story? Yes. Oh, oh I cause the uh, 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 yeah. Yeah. I'm batting a hundred so wow. far on this episode. Yeah, no, I'm positive. <laughs> As we learned at the top, the battery has gone through many changes over the last 200 years. A health spot for the wealthy in the 1800s, a bootlegger rebuilt part of it in the 1930s. Now it is broken down into rental and storage areas for residents. Only two of these units are now being occupied, each by a couple, one young, one old. They got to know each other because they have a shared septic tank and there's been problems with that tank. Very typical meat cute. <laughs> the old septic tank. <laughs> Classic. Uh, it's classic. Yeah, classic. Uh, the old couple are Ray and Estelle Stone, and the young couple are called Nolo and Adrian Saya. There are four decades dividing the two couples. Uh, wasn't Nolo the name of the guy who was killed in a jacuzzi in, in Dagonia? Oh, I, can't that even, is. I can't remember. Was it Nolo? It was Nolo, yeah. I mean, I don't know if that's a very common name or uh, or if this is the is same this character. A Wait a minute. Is this well, let's keep reading. Yeah. yeah. Ray liked to have the younger couple over for barbecues, and they would socialize frequently. I got kind of a Rosemary's Baby vibe here at the Me, beginning. So did I. It's the like, first thing I thought. <laughs> yeah. First thing I thought. Look out. Get those Scrabble tiles out. <laughs> 
Both Nolo and Adrian work at home doing web stuff. Uh, she's an editor. He designs websites. I'm not sure when this story was written, but clearly it's much closer to the present day. Yes. It's hard to tell what Ray and Estelle do for a living. They have seven monitors in their living room with news coming in from around the world. They're vague about why they're there and why they're into world news. Shay moves from this tidbit quite quite quickly, and it really stood out to me. Yeah, that could also be just a thing. I've, I've encountered this with my parents. Older people just like to have TVs on all the time. They like to feel, and they like to feel like they're connected with the world as if, because maybe subconsciously they feel themselves slipping away from the world, so you want the news on so you know what's going on. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. And then that's the news that ultimately drives you crazy, though, Yes, exactly. Right? I've seen, and I've seen a lot of old people do that, and, and my friends call it Fox News poisoning. Uh, yeah. You really start getting this warped view of the world, and it drives you nuts. Oh. These monitors are always covered up whenever the younger couple visit, uh, but they don't pry. Sometimes Nolo wonders what Ray knows about the property. Uh, sometimes he mentions, Ray will say, the stone and soil beneath them is older than anything they could imagine. In fact, uh, the night when Ray and Nolo met, they had this odd conversation about the septic problems. Ray says they never should have built on this site. And Nolo says the leach field on the property doesn't really, the leach field is like how you drain sewage. It's a series of pipes, I think, that go through soil. Mm. But it doesn't really smell like sewage. Nolo says it smells like the sea. And stood thinking how foolish this must sound since but 50 yards behind them, the whole Atlantic foamed to the shore below their promontory. Staring intently at him, Ray said, yes, a dead sea, some black subterranean reach of it festering in darkness. That was their first conversation and they became fast friends. Mm. Uh, and by the way, so we're talking about the southern coast and the Atlantic, so it's not San Francisco, right? I mean, no, we're not in San Francisco anymore. We're and maybe, or it could be, if it's if it's the South, this could be South Carolina. This could be mm. like, yeah. you know, it could be one of those coastal mm. areas, Virginia, Florida. Yep, maybe could be Florida, Florida uh, which wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on, on Saturday morning, Nolo drives back twenty miles. Uh, from town to the battery, and the landlord is there on the property, this guy called Scampy, who's a chubby dude in a suit with slick back hair. There's a new tenant moving into the battery, a single man who Scampy believes is Indian, as in from India. Would you say he's like tall or kind of a shrimp? No? Scampy. Go ahead. Is <laughs> Scampy is acting very Amazing. nervous <laughs> as, as workmen are inside putting up plywood to block the the new tenant's windows from the inside. Never a good sign. You know, what's he going to be doing in there? What's he building in there? Nola goes in to see Adrian. Uh, they're described as being in really good physical condition, and they make love. It says, because lovemaking made Adrian hungry, she often went for a run afterwards to avoid snacking. God bless her. That is such a Michael Shea thing. He's always talking about people going out for long jogs. Yeah. <laughs> Loves that. Oh, Michael. I was thinking, is that what... When I see people running, is it always post-sex? Is yeah. that what's going on? It's either that or a bag of Pringles. <laughs> oh, get ready for the angry uh, email. Uh, yes. Pringles, they'll come in tubes, not bags. So, uh, uh, that was uh, quite inaccurate. Uh, oh, oh so while out on her run down this long road out of the battery, she's almost run over by these dudes in a van pulling a trailer with a bunch of tools in it. When she gets back to the battery, however, there's no van. That night, Nolo and Adrian go over their, over to their neighbor's apartment for barbecue, and they're having a good time, but Estella seems distracted. It starts to rain, they go inside, and when they do, Ray pulls out this ornate box that contains a flat carven stone. And Estella asks, is it certain? And Ray says, it's coming. Then there's a knock at the door. Ray tells Nolo and Adrian to say nothing. Then he opens the door. Upon a thin man, enveloped in a long black overcoat, his hat too was black and broadly brimmed, and not a drop of rain dripped from either coat or hat. Between his black-gloved hands he held a little leathern pouch. 
but oddest of all was his face, so thin and narrow, the nose a blade, the smooth cheeks tapered to a pointed chin, the satiny skin a lustrous, dusky hue. It was almost the abstraction of a face, save for the eyes, so spherical and stark their whites. Not quite human, Nolo thought, until he realized that wraparound clear spectacles enlarged and distorted them. They seemed almost ceramic replicas of eyes, bulging from that exquisite, meager visage. He asked to come in, but it's like he didn't actually speak the words. They just heard it in their mind. The man introduces himself as Mr. Ganunga, and he's the guy that's moving in next door. He asks them for his privacy and offers him this leather pouch in exchange. Ray accepts it, but he keeps the stone in his other hand as he does. Mr. Gananga bows and then leaves. And while he was there, the room grew distinctly colder. So there's... All these are indications that there's definitely something supernatural about this person. <laughs> it's a bit much. Like, guys, <laughs> yeah. you've got, like, Slender Man, Man in Black. Like, they, he could have... I think he may have piled on a few two effects in this one. <laughs> like, okay, we, he's a weird emissary from the... Uh, got it. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so, <laughs> Ray uh, dumps the pouch out on the coffee table, and it's full of gold coins engraved with runes, Norse runes. And Ray asks Nolo and Adrian if they are allies. They're going to be friends no matter what. But if they're not allies, uh, Ray says, they should leave the battery right away. We face here a danger great and dire. And in the margin of my book, as I was reading this, I wrote, bye. Yeah, me too. Like, yeah, fine. Let me know when it's done. See yep. ya. Bye-bye. Glad we're still going to be friends. Allies, yeah. I'm not so sure about. So Adrian thinks that the coins are worth a quarter of a million dollars, but Ray corrects her and says, more like half. She wants to know what the danger is, but Ray says, you know, I can't tell you unless you agree to stay. And even then, I can't tell you for a little while. And I think we just covered it. But what, I mean, you, what would you guys do? Would you? But I would leave. Yeah, Absolutely. I mean, I'd get out of that situation immediately. First, this weird alien dude just came by with a pouch, and then they're all speaking. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, guys, just you go work all this out. It's too creepy for me. I, I, I leave when people start... Uh, talking about their yoga practice, I'll, I'll get out of a party. Like, totally. yeah, I don't want to hear it. Goodbye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like Scientology times 100. Oh, boy. Uh, so Adrian and Nolo look at each other, and they agree to help. Now, Shay does provide some credible and I thought somewhat interesting motivation for this, because Nolo's father, while a good guy, had a lot of problems with the law because of a rough childhood and is currently upstate in prison. And, and Nolo always felt... Like, he didn't do enough to help his father. So in this situation, where he's being asked for help from an older fatherly figure, he just can't refuse. Yeah. So mm. that, that's his motive. At least that, you know, helps us guide and do a decision that yeah. we might well, no, His dad was friends with an alien emissary in a weird <laughs> dark suit and a, <laughs> makes a room colder when he walks into the it, but whatever. The are different, but at least that's, that's what we're given. So Ray and Estelle take them out into the rain and on a bluff over the field. Ray holds out the stone and says once they touch it, they'll know... And forever be allied to this. Just leave, guys. <laughs> Touch the stone. I'll sit, call me tomorrow. <laughs> Adrian touches it, and she gets a mythos vision. Cyclopean vaults loomed over her, echoing with hoarse, inhuman shouts, while upon a far, jagged horizon, titan towers hid their crowns in storm rack, black and scarlet, torn by mighty lightning bolts. Ray then touches the stone. He gets a similar vision. And I guess this was just a fast way to get them on board without a lot of exposition. I thought Lovecraft definitely would have done all of the exposition. <laughs> oh, yeah, jeez. And also, he wouldn't have had married couples having sex. So. <laughs> no, anyway. in fact, there would be yeah. no women involved. These would in have been stone. weird, pasty scholars. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> Who live alone. <laughs> exactly. Ray takes the stone, he lays it on the field, and he says some words under his breath. The next morning, Adrian and Nolo talk over their experience and try to come up with some logical explanations for what happened, but none of them really sound right. 
right. Then Adrian sees the guys who almost ran her over the other day, and she goes out to tell them off. But Ray, he's out there with them, and he tells them, look, I hired these guys to do work in the Litchfield because I knew that this trouble was coming. They're putting up some kind of fencing out there and, and canvas to block their work. Ray says it's because it will be unsightly what they're doing. And then he gives Ray and Adrian $50,000 from Ganunga's bribe, saying that they might need it to buy supplies at some point. Anybody giving you money is a big red flag. <laughs> You're going to want something for this, and I don't know if it's just going to be supplies. In cash. In cash, yeah. yeah. But they accept it, and between the two of them, they try to talk about, what do you, you know, what the heck do you think this is all about? But it says, quote, in a void of information, conjecture faltered. And I really like that line because I am personally not, I'm not prone to speculate without actual information. Yeah. But it seems like a lot of people spend time doing this yeah. in, in both our normal lives just and also in pop culture. That's something that I, is a pet peeve of mine. Everybody yeah. trying to solve Game of Thrones and solve the Avengers and get the theories out early. And I, I you yeah. know, the people who make that stuff are going to do that for you. Just yeah. hang out yeah. and wait. Enjoy the ride. Or yes. just, I, I think a lot of people also feel obligated when somebody asks you something you don't know that they have to try to come up with an answer. And it needs to be more acceptable, in my opinion, to just say, I don't know. I don't have enough information. Yeah. Eventually, they meet the two workers. These are these big, heavy dudes wearing coveralls, and they have bland, bulging faces. When Nolo first runs into one of the guys, he says, help you, help you. Clearly, he doesn't have a great faculty with language. That reminds me of my, my children when they started learning how, how to so? talk. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. Because they, <laughs> yeah, want, yeah. they want help. Wait a minute. They, <laughs> not their big, bulging <laughs> <Yeah>. faces. <laughs> I hope. Those are my other children. Whoa. No, the no when they're little and they're trying to learn because they get the pro, pronouns because they want help. So they go, help you? Because I say, do you, when yeah. I say you, they think you is them. And so they go, they would say, help you. And then that made me think of these guys were giant children. Yeah, that's what they speak like, giant children. It also says that the worker's voice has a flute-like quality, sketchy and broken. We get all, we always get the mad piping of flutes and flute-like qualities. And it, what's the deal with flutes? Uh, I mean, I think that they... When they're discordant, they do sound really, really creepy, and that must have been a thing that Lovecraft used for effect. It's something that you just you can hear it in your head when someone says it. But isn't like Azazoth? Aren't there these weird idiot? It sounds like idiots playing flutes or panpipes or something. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah maybe yeah. these are like um, emissaries or or channels for for that thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It also the uh, the Shoggoths in At the Mountains of Madness, they have kind of a, a pipey fluting sound. There's oh. Talikalili, Talikalili. They do that business. And th that was a mimicking of the elder things when oh. they, it was like an order that they gave them, like obey, oh, obey. And okay. so it's kind of a mocking telekalili that was their Im imitation of the elder things. So maybe that is what that's the fluting. Yeah, that's the reference. I just always think of that great flute solo in California Dreaming. <laughs> So rocking. Yeah. Ray can see uh, down the slope into the work area where there's a six foot wide hole. So whatever these guys are doing, it involves that. Yeah. Not long after the first meeting, Nolo goes out to see that the workers have left their coveralls out on the ground uh, while working, like big, filthy skins. Naked workmen? Oh, yeah. <laughs> As soon as Stella comes to them and says that danger is more urgent now, you've got to learn exactly what we're facing. And we're not privy to the conversation they have over Sherry at Ray's apartment, but it seems to close the deal as to the importance of this challenge they're going to face. Nolo asks, how far down is this hole that's being dug out there? Far, said Ray, below the bedrock of this promontory, but farther down the way is paved. The strength we will need to go down there will be in our spines, not our legs. Nolo says, it helps a little that we have no choice. 
I don't think it would help me. I'm not going down into any yeah, hole. I would not go down into a hole. <laughs> nope. That's where the... It's down in a hole. Oh, I'm done. I'm out. Yep. Story's over. There's I'm a out. hole involved, you say. Yeah. yeah, I'm not doing it. Bye. Then there's a measured knock at the door. It's Mr. Gananga. Standing in the doorway, he looks odd, almost like he's a two-dimensional image. Again, man, we don't need any more of this. Yeah, it's, we, we know. We got just it. the name Gananga's enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he says, forgive me for knocking, good friends. Do you have something for me? So Ray pulls out the stone and he says, I do have something. And he holds it up to Mr. Gananga's face and he says, he whom you know is with us. And this prompts this strange supernatural effect where a thin line of seething blackness crosses down Gananga's face and it splits open, becoming all blackness. And then poof, he vanishes. He's gone. Gananga enough already. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, after that, Nolo and Adrian go back home <laughs> to spend the evening. Like I'm like, well, I would never leave their house. Yeah, now that you see they've got this protection, protective stone, yeah. and you're in it, you better hang out with I them. I would yeah. hang out with them, but they go and the they, Rosemary's Baby couple. They get scared and can't sleep, so they just kind of hold each other in bed. Nolo, he looks up Gananga online, and sa- and Shay says that Gananga Gap was an old Norse giant that dismantled the Earth at the end of days. Now, actually, I hate to be a nerd here, but uh, <laughs> Gananga Gap is the void between everything that ex- existed. It was the void that was going to exist before there were things, and it was going to be the void that exists after. It's like Norse creation myth stuff. Yeah, right? yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So uh, Gananga Gap was the void between the two realms, the Fire Realm and the Ice Realm. I think what he's saying is they opened up a gap in. In that void, a store, mm-hmm. and that was no. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, supposedly gap. That is the origin of that. It was a Gananga Gap. Oh, the store. Oh, the word the gap, gap or gap not the store? Yes, the word. Wow. In my research, it could be you know trust the internet as much as you you want mm-hmm. there, but uh, because the hot and the cold were together over this void, it would coalesce and like form water droplets, and that's where Ymir, who is the first god, the giant destructive troll monster thing, and he slept there. But as more water coalesced. It made this cow. Again, I, th- all these creation myths always just provide more questions than answers to sure. me. Like, where does a cow? And wh- why does the wa- how did the water make a cow? How did that happen? I think th- these are people riding in, in a cow-based economy, and so it's just something <laughs> you know. It's natural that cows were very valuable. Yeah. Sure, yeah. I mean, they really were. It was well. Yeah, yeah. It goes into more detail about the whole origins of things, but it's this gap, this void, and it yeah. connects with the Norse. I'm not sure why he thinks he looks Indian in his description. I too. don't know if he said. If, I think that when the landlord says that, it's because it's an Indian-sounding name. Oh, it's not because he actually looks. Not necessarily right. because he actually uh, looks that way. I see. But it's so. This is like chaos from the creation myth, right? In, right. In any creation myth, you do have the primordial void that everything kind of comes from. Right. Well, so the next day, uh, the two couples meet at high noon. Nolo and Adrian have used their money, that money that was given to them, to go get spelunking supplies. That was apparently what they, the supplies they needed. And Ray says they must make their descent before the sun touches the sea. So time to go into the hole. As they approach the hole, Ray says that you're going to meet their helpers in their true form. So get ready for the shit because it's going to prepare you for the serious shit that you're going to see down <laughs> in the hole. So rumbling sound comes up out of the hole and Ray says, behold our Shoggoths. <laughs> Shay loves his Shoggoths, yeah, man. Loves. And he loves describing them. Listen to this. An indescribable. I just said he loves describing them and says an indescribable mouse. God damn it. An indescribable mass erupted from the shaft. Its bulky skin was soil and broken stone and splintered timber, reminiscent of a caddisfly larva's cocoon of pond debris. This elongate, rubble-crusted mass lurched up onto the spoil heap, flexed itself, and shed all at once the stone, soil, and timber that enveloped it. What was revealed was a slick, supple mass equal to an elephant's, but sinuous 
and tapered at both ends like an immense slug. Vanishing into the earth, it left behind a gust of ethereal stench, a vile fetor that the bright winds scoured away. Oof. <laughs> oh, some nasty stuff. <laughs> the, the, but this thing is actually the two workers kind of merged together into some sort of hellish Voltron that burrows quicker into the earth. Yeah, it, it says that Nolo and Adrian had learned that a Shoggoth was no more than a mighty tool and that the power Ray and Estelle have to boss a, these things around comes from a vastly mightier monster who lay deep beneath them. They've rented the workers from whoever this monster is below <laughs> the earth. And they had learned that this being in the earth, immune to their race's annihilation, might view Ganunga's work with indifference, and when at length they laid their petition before it, might prove to be no ally at all. So I think Shay here is really invoking the core of Lovecraft's cosmicism, that we're not really important and... Uh, right, there's way bigger things happening. And that, that's something that, getting back to uh, Altronon Blackwood's The Willows, there's a very specific passage where he talks about seeing these vast forms moving and maybe they're doing things that have nothing to do with us, that they, could, they don't even know that we're here, but they're movements and actions could destroy us. Very cosmic. Yes. Estella points down to a sandy cove where Mr. Gananga is heading. As he walks over the sand, he leaves no footprints, and that's because that was when Jesus was carrying him. Oh, that's so, so sweet. sweet. There you go. Finally, Jesus shows up. Mm-hmm. Finally. Finally. Gananga heads into the ocean, and he collapses into sort of dark line, his clothes falling But I thought he off. already split and disappeared. Did he come back, or...? Yeah, I think he can go back and forth or something like oh, that. Right. I don't know. But uh. he, uh, his clothes, you know, kind of fall to the ground because he's not in there anymore as a human, and sure. it, this long, dark line splits the seal, Ten Commandments-like. It's going further and further, and we're seeing the walls of water parting. And once again, Shay does some good bone work here. It says, uh, the spinal punch of what they saw. A terrifying cleavage now thrust a quarter mile into the sea. Spinal punch! <laughs> spinal punch! <laughs> Finish him! <laughs> Final punch, also delicious. Yes, oh, quite good. Mm. Nolo and Adrian watch this happen and then are called back to the hole by the other couple to begin their descent. Into the hole, folks. The passage is steep, but it's not straight down. They descend for a while and then they enter a huge domed area where there's a platform in the middle. Yeah, it takes them a while to get down there. They finally get to it. Of course, there's an altar and it's the big dome and Ray places a special stone on the platform and then says, draw back. Ray says to Nolo, face our messenger. He is Sathagua. He is our emissary to the eldest one who will either save us or allow our world to end. Do not turn away. Any clue who the eldest one is? Larry King. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and salt. Well, the platform with the stone becomes all trippy and magical, and out of it emerges something. Great back-jutting knees, short forelegs, hugely clawed, emerge from this coalescence, a wide and sinewy back, and last, the oblate moon of a toad's head, turret-eyed. Last to appear were those eyes, huge eyes, black, ice, eternal. Okay, so it's Sothagua. Oh, yeah. Yes, and it, a reappearance of this toad god. And it begins to rip up the place, burrowing even deeper. Ray says, stand fast, stand and witness. That's our duty here, mm-hmm. to know. So again, we have this theme of being witnesses. But again, witnesses to stop the thing or witnesses to tell everyone else that they're doomed. Yeah. Like, what is the what is the benefit and goal of being witnesses to these gods? They seem to want that. Or is it the humans, is it the, the people that are in touch with this that want, maybe they want more witnesses because that will lessen their chances of going insane? Maybe. Or it'll prepare the human race to face this when it comes. Yeah, well, because Ray, Ray wants him to witness. And Ray is 
it seems to be a protector of Earth. And he's telling Nolo to witness. So th- that makes, I'm leaning towards the idea that somehow that's going to embolden or help humanity survive. Yeah, well, because they're going to pass the baton sort of as far as being well, protected. Yeah. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But yeah, is it something like, because we don't know whether this god is going to favor us or or not care at all, it's mm-hmm. better to watch because if there's an audience, it'll like lean in their favor. You know, like when a kid says, oh. look it, look it. If you're not looking, then it's as if they're not hmm. doing the thing. Right? Yeah, it could so be. Wit- they, they're like, hang out and watch Sathagua while he does this badass stuff. <laughs> And then he'll be like, well, they hung out and saw me doing cool burrowing things and everything. So, you know, I'll go ahead and help him out. Yeah. I was also wondering at this point, why isn't anybody going insane? I mean, they're seeing some really crazy exactly, stuff. Yeah, mm. there's no, but again, what I'm thinking is the more people you have around you, the less chance you have of going insane. True. So maybe that's why uh, Ray had them come out there with him. Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. Know. If and you've seen it in a group, at least you know everybody else is experiencing yeah, it as well. Yeah, if you see it alone, then you're like, there's a Fritz Leiber story, and I forget what it's called, but it's there's a very specific moment when something starts, like, as he calls it, scratching at the cold rim of the sky, and they're in a car, and he's like, everyone write down exactly what you're seeing right now. Like, it was almost like Ooh. a way to stop them all from going nuts. Oh, wow. Yeah. I That's forget, cool. oh, what the fuck was that story called? It's so good. It's one of Fritz Leiber's uh, Cthulhu stories. Yeah. yeah. Someone will tell us, I'm sure. Yeah, we'll, yeah I'm we'll, sure. Yeah. We'll check that out. We'll have to check that out. <clears throat> Ray then says, go now. We must get to the surface as fast as we can. If the eldest one moves to help us, we dare not be far underground. We dare not be underground at all. So they run up and it's nighttime now. And they look out to the sea and they see the black gap is now a quarter of a mile wide. And marine animals can be seen looking through the water walls. The earth under their feet begins to rumble, and Nolo grabs Adrian as a great wind wants to blow out their hair and their skin. This ally, that's not Sathagyu. Sathagyu was going down to go talk to somebody yeah. else or something like that, right? right? And uh, Ray says that their ally should be able to cross that void without surrendering to its nullity. It's going to somehow stitch up this split mm-hmm. that's happening. And I don't know if this split will just keep spreading until the world is devoured. It seems like, is, yeah. that, is that what's going to happen? Yeah, it's going to destroy the planet? Hmm. Ray says that they have been watching out for this kind of thing for 30 years, and generations have been doing it before them, and generations will be doing it after them, and that Nolo and Adrian are to be their successors. So it's kind of like that secret society in The Last Crusade, the Indiana Jones movie, who protect the grail, the brotherhood of the right, cruciform right. sword. Yeah. You know? yeah, they've gotten roped into this secret society of protectors, kind of probably not knowing exactly what they were getting themselves into. But over the big gap in the sea, there's a light in the distance and something moves into it. A pale, snaky mass, sharp-tipped, but thickening as it sprouted. It was a tentacle, one of colossal size, to loom so large, so far out in the cloven sea. It seemed to freeze as it sprouted, grow frosty and cracked. Yet there was a monstrous energy in its growth that shed the fragments of its frozen substance and swell with might and mass renewed. And a second one sprouted beside it, followed by another. Eventually, this becomes eight tentacles that are bridging this gap in the ocean, looking like planetary sinews seeking purchase on itself to bind the breach. It's almost like this thing is sewing up, Mm, you know, keeping it together. Mm -hmm. It's like Spider-Man when he's... Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, grabbing the two pieces of the cruise ship that are about That's to fall right. apart. Then a big earthquake hits and Ray yells, hit the dirt. The wide moonwashed coast groaned and shuddered. The four witnesses lifted their stunned eyes. The tentacles bunched with power and contracted. The black gulf narrowed, narrowed, and Ganinga's fuming comb towered higher, higher, a thinning blade of blackness cleaving the stars. Hold on, they all howled at once, but this they could not do in the moment of the wound's titanic closure. For with its impact, their bodies bounced and danced like surf-struck flotsam, long past the Earth's great after-shudder, 
They lay, trembling, hugging their delivered world. Look up, Adrian cried. A long blade of blackness rose through the moonlight, but untouched by it, and narrowed as it rose, narrowed, dwindled, and vanished toward the stars. And that's the end of the story. So, hang on. They were calling up the giant tentacle thing because there was some weird blade of blackness that was going to split the world in two, and they called it there to keep the world together? Or what was... That seems like what happened. You seemed earlier like you were confused, and I was confused too. The ally was the giant tentacle things coming out of the water? Yeah. But were they calling up the old gods to fight an even worse threat that's like... I do uh, Yeah, it seems like uh, I struggled with this one. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm just me putting it, trying to put it together. Is that maybe gods like Sithogua and whoever this deeper god is, maybe it's Cthulhu, maybe it's something mm-hmm. else, for their evil purposes, they want the earth intact for whatever yes. reason. And right. this other god doesn't want it there and was going to destroy it and make it get sucked into this big void that it was creating. And so. Uh, oh. Ray wasn't sure if the subterranean god that he's contacting, this elder god, wants the earth to be together or not. He wasn't sure. I see. Would even care. But yeah. he's like, we got to take the risk. Exactly. Yeah. But was, uh, what's his name? Gunga? Gununga. I, I want to say Gunga Din every time. Was he, the, <laughs> was he Ray's ally or was he the no. problem? He was the problem. He was the messenger. I, I mean. I think he represents some force of chaos. And they yeah. have to hope that whatever that. But then why was he? Why was he letting Ray and Estelle know that this was? It seemed like he gave them the pouch and the money. Was that to? Was that? A, I think that was a bribe, right? That was to, a bribe. Like, oh, stay away, like, and, stay let away and let this it. happen. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. And remember, when he took the bribe, he had the stone in his hand, so it was kind of like his fingers crossed behind his back. I think that was the oh, impression okay. Because then later, when he touched him with the stone, yeah, it made him it made Ganunga disperse. Yeah, huh. vanish. Well, but why would, I mean, why wouldn't Ganunga know a bribe isn't going to work? I mean, if he's going to destroy the planet, who cares? Are you going to spend yeah. all your gold also, coins? If you're going to destroy the whole planet, what is the point of paying someone off on the planet if the whole planet yeah. is going to be destroyed? What do you care? Well, what are you going to buy? Or you're going to pay anybody off. But I don't think that this that Ganunga knew that they were in the know. He just thought they were his, his crummy neighbors and he didn't want them messing with his stuff while he was going to do this ritual to, to bring about the end of the world. So whomever lived there, he would have knocked on the door and given yeah. them a pouch of gold? Yeah, yeah I think so. Se- but it seemed like it no. took Ray and Estelle like <laughs> 30 years to prepare for this. So couldn't he just assume that people are moving into next door? They don't know anything about it. They don't have time yeah. to get any kind of... Def- Why do I got to give them any money? Um... I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best here trying to explain. <laughs> Why don't you know? Uh. But it's, it. This wasn't one of my favorite Shea stories. It was a little frustrating, but it did have some cool imagery in it, and I oh, actually yeah. didn't know any of that Norse mythology stuff about, or that the, that's the word where the word gap comes from, or yeah. we think, or yeah. any yeah. of that business. It's so, you it, know, as usual, the writing's gorgeous. Oh it yeah, really evokes some really truly oh, terrible. Boy, things. yeah. Yeah. And there was interesting things about it. I like this idea of having to try and negotiate with this other god and just hope that you have aligned goals, even though they don't know. But I mean, everybody's going to die anyway, so what's what's the risk, really? Right. But then again, if it's Sithogua, the risk could be pretty terrible because Sithogua could absorb you and then you're existing in its mind right, for right. eternity. And it's so there really is something that is, uh, it is a truly a risk. It's not just, they're not facing nothing. They're facing this eternal torment. Hmm. If, yeah. we, if we cross-reference this story with the Sothogu right, story. Right, right, right. Well, all right. <laughs> okay, know. well, you know what? 
can't everyone can't be 100%. No. 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 Not even someone as amazing as Michael Shea. And amazing he is. I want to thank really Patton is. for joining us once again and thank bringing you. us the gift of Shea. Yeah. And please well uh, also read my um, uh, monogram for the Paris <laughs> Review called uh, Shea Sans Frontiers. <laughs> uh, and also my other critical essays... Uh, Shay's come undone. Uh, yes. If sh- if Shay knew what Shay wants, <laughs> and check out my new Michael Shayeen daytime talk show, Shay you Shay me. <laughs> very very excited that it will be premiering in the fall. You're so busy, Pat. Man, it's crazy. Yeah. You know what? I, I like doing stuff. How do you so it's much crazy. material generated by this author? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it really with, is amazing. Yeah, yeah. And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. <laughs> and I'm Patton Oswalt. And you've been listening to the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. At hppodcraft.com. hppodcraft.com. Ah!